Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special, very Sunday, very all sorts of things. Mailbag edition. As Andrew corrected me last week, it would still be Sunday, even if we weren't here, but it is Sunday and we are here, unless you're listening to this on a different day, in which case it's not Sunday, and we're recording this on a day that's not Sunday. Otherwise... It's very confusing. There is, otherwise, <laughs> there is absolute truth in advertising. I am Scott Phillips. He is the straw man himself, Mr. Andrew Ram Page Esquire. How are you, sir? Very good. Very good. How are you? I oh, mate, can I tell you... Oh, this is how about La Nina been? We've had th- Sydney has set, mm-hmm. as you well know, three rain, monthly rainfall records in the last year. It's mm-hmm. been bizarre. Yesterday, I'm recording this on Thursday, as we do. Yesterday in Barrow, so I'm a bit further out and it's a bit cooler here. We had not only sun. I had the, the other thing was in the sky I had to work out what it was. It was UFO for a while, and mm-hmm. there was actually even a warm breeze. And I, I literally felt it was like, oh my god. I haven't had that for months. I was so I'm in a very good mood, mate. It's uh, I finally feel like maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel, or as they say, it might just be a train coming the other way. But fingers crossed. I'm very well. How are that's, you? That's that's great, mate. I'm just you might you might not have got the memo, but they're not oh, UFOs anymore. They oh, are, are they now? they're UAPs, unexplained oh, aerial phenomena. Because. I don't know. I think so. I think I think the reason is is because I don't know if you've been if you've been in some of the darker parts of the web over the last no, few years. But there's a bunch of really navy pilots that. coming forward and vision and stuff. And so the White House uh, of all places has said, "Okay, we're going to take a look at it." And I'm sure that someone in PR said, "Can we just not call it UFO?" And someone said, "What about UAP?" Oh, that's hysterical, man! Anyway. I love that. I love it. Yes, I don't even know. Yeah. All let's right, not let's go there. Let's, let's <laughs> exactly. talk, about, talk about rabbit holes. <laughs> Can we please? Exactly. Yep. All right. So, mate, let's let's go off with a really good question. We got this one via Twitter. I gave the handles on Friday. I may or may not do it again later, but you know what they are. Uh, from Greg, who says, Hi, Scott. I'm a big fan of the podcast with yourself and Andrew. Thank you, mate. I wanted to ask you a question regarding selling a current position at a loss in order to better utilize that cash elsewhere. I jumped into the ETF world without sitting down and working out my risk appetite and thus put about 40% of my available cash into the Vanguard Balanced Index ETF, VDBA is the code, and the remainder into an ASX 300 and a global ETF. I've now realized through reading and listening to your podcast that I would prefer that 40 grand to be invested in the US market over the VDBA, the uh, was it Balanced Index Fund, mm-hmm. which has a portfolio weighting of 35% into global bonds. The current performance of that ETF in my portfolio is down 8%. Given the current economic climate, I feel there will be a missed opportunity keeping my money in that ETF, which I feel, given the exposure to the global bond market, will take longer to recover than a US market index. My question is, is it worth selling and taking the loss, which could be used to offset later capital gains, and reinvest or... Should I hold my current position until it's in the green? Many thanks, Greg. We've had a version of this one before, mate, but given it keeps being asked, we're going to keep answering it, try and make it different and new. But uh, should Greg just kind of cut his losses now or should he wait until at least he's made his money back and then yeah. go and redeploy his assets? Uh, it's, it's a great question. It's one It's one that we all wrestle with um, from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, first, <laughs> a, a very small point. It's actually waiting for it to get in the black for some reason. It's not the green. Uh, red for down, black for up. Do you know why that is, mate? Sometimes it's green. No, I think it's still in the black. I think Man, it's in so accounting. Red and, red and black were like, yeah, profits and losses. But if you look at your Comsec screen or your Google Finance thing, you'll see it's green when it's up and red when it's down. It's the most unimportant point in the world. I really <laughs> bringing it up. Um, but thank you for taking us there. <laughs> um, never, ever, ever, or make make a decision to make generalizations. S- <laughs> never, ever, ever make generalizations. <laughs> if there, there is uh, whether or not you are in. Profit or loss, the market knows not, it cares not. It doesn't matter. Yes. It's irrelevant to the market. It, mm-hmm. there, are, there are some considerations when you've got a, a big profit there because there's mm-hmm. a tax consideration on mm-hmm. that. But when you're in a loss, there's no consideration um, be, because you're not, you're not going to be on the, on the hook for any tax. In fact, you're going to get a, 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 a credit that you can offset future capital gains with. Mm-hmm. So the decision is always, and again, I know people would have heard this before, but just imagine you blinked into existence today. You woke up, you found that the person who was driving your body up until that point had mm-hmm. put all their money into VDBA or whatever proportion. 
It's your decision at the flick of a switch to keep it there or to put it somewhere else. And that decision is entirely based on not what has happened in the past, but where do you think it's going to go in the future? So you might look at it and go, we can't give investment advice, of course, but you might Mm -hmm. think, actually, no, I I think it's actually a really good risk-reward proposition. I'm happy to keep it there. Whether or not I'm down 30%, up 50%, it matters matters not. uh, as a general comment, I I don't like. It, it depends. It depends where you are in your stage of life and your personal situations. Which is very. These are the very good reasons as to why we can't give personal advice because it depends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is is actually said for very good reason. But as a general rule, if you are a, a little distance away from retirement, why would you put your money in bonds for? The only value that bonds have as well. <laughs> this was sort of true until recently. Um, is that they tend to be. Uh, uncorrelated to equity returns. So one zigs, mm. the other zags. Um, yep. It's a classic 60-40 portfolio. They're also considered incredibly low risk, or at least they used to be. Uh, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but what, there's, there is always a trade-off with, with risk. The less risk you take, the less return you can expect. So if you're, say you're 10 or 15 years away from retirement or more, uh, and you've got a bunch of money exposed to bonds, which aren't going to give you a great return, especially in, you know, in a low interest rate kind of environment. Um, and it's, it's just going to act as a, 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 as a drag on what the equity uh, returns are likely to do over a meaningful period of time. I, I, I personally wouldn't be anywhere near it. I, I think, and I think the industry has a lot to answer for here when they, they label products. And super is just as bad. They'll, they'll, they'll have, hey, Mr. <laughs> yeah. Employee, here's a range of options for your super. Yeah. Would you like the balanced option or the low risk option, or would you like the high risk option? I mean, what idiot goes? Oh, I'll take high risk, please. Like, <laughs> exactly. oh, you know, but but you actually peel peel down a few layers of the onion and go. Actually, all high risk means is just full equity exposure, and that's actually that's actually very low risk over very meaningful periods of time. So these these labels and you, you see balanced and you see diversified and you know the Vanguard diversified balanced ETF. I mean, what is wrong with that sentence? Absolutely mm-hmm. not. No, nothing, except <laughs> all you're really doing is locking in some mediocrity with the purported benefit of uh, yeah. accepting less volatility. And I would say, go for the volatility, embrace it, because what we know, and I know I'll beat you to the punch, you'll point to no. the Vanguard long-term uh, equity market returns Me? chart, which, which tends to show- Never that, heard of it. The things, the things generally work out pretty well because it's just a proxy yeah. for human ingenuity and, and the, the success of our civilization. So unless you're a, a prepper, it's probably going to be a pretty good bet. And unless you're close to retirement, I think you want to have full exposure to that. Yep. Now, um, I yes, look, we can't give personal advice, but generally speaking, waiting for someone to get back to a game is just a paper game you play with yourself. And it's a pretty... Um, uh, generally speaking, it's an expensive game because your only question is, as Andrew said, which one does, does best from here? If you had $100, now you've got $90. Um, where, how's that $90 best grow from here? Which option? Doesn't matter. If you had a $50 and you had $90, it doesn't matter. You're at $90, so you're at $90, so you're at $90. The question is simply, what would you buy today for long-term returns? Um, I will say only, only I, I do this regularly-ish, only to moderate your point somewhat, although you may choose not to be moderated by it, uh, is... I, you know, I understand why people might use bonds. If they're the sort of person who doesn't like you, mate, um, embrace the volatility. If they just need for, for their own peace of mind and make sure they stay in the game, a bit less volatility, then I can understand why they might choose something different. And again, by the way, Greg's not saying he's saying, I wanted to make a change, which is great. Um, but, you know, if, if you if you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be like, Greg, I'm going to make a change too. I'm going to go all shares. They fall 15%. You go, oh, no, that's just great. I'm selling now. You just locked in a loss for, for no good reason, right? So just just be just be mindful um, if you are listening and you're, you know, we, we want you to get to that place because we do think over time, if you can, the returns are likely to be very good. So, you know, I'm 100% agreeing with Andrew. Um, just as I always do say, know yourself, uh, know whether you can get to that place and what you need to keep yourself invested. I know mum came to me years ago and said, oh, I, I, you know, I got my super statement and I lost money last year. Isn't super supposed to go up? And it was a very, very reasonable comment from someone who wasn't a finance person who said, I thought this was supposed to be growing for my future and what's going on here? And that was in a relatively balanced one, a balanced uh, portfolio, which had to be a really tough year. Um, in a different set of circumstances, that's going to worry her and think, well, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. I don't want to lose money anymore. What else can I do to not lose money? You, if you, she, had made, she didn't make the change, because I talked her out of it. But if she had made the change, she would have locked in lower returns from that point, which would have made um, added insult to injury. But just, just, just be mindful. 
I'll give just a really specific example in relation mm. to this particular mm. product. And, mm. you know, again, it's, it's, it's something I'll throw out because it's important too, but it's more than just lip service. The, the past is no guarantee of the future. Yes. It does sort of help articulate what we're saying here. So let's go back exactly five years. That's a, that's a reasonable chunk of time. Um, and you put all your money into VDBA. It would have actually, it only, it's only been around for uh, just, just uh, on five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the 23rd of November, 2017, as far as I can tell, is when it came into inception. You could have bought it at about $50.27 per unit. It's now at $48.04. And so and we were just talking the other day about the, you know, the horrible um, uh, tax that is inflation. Yep. Now, we're at, we're at 7% in 32-year high at the moment, but even even just going back to sort of more typical 2 yeah. to 3% yeah. rates, that is, you, you've lost, not only have lost money in real terms, in nominal terms, but you've lost a lot more in real terms by taking what is something of a, of a quote unquote, lower risk approach. Now, let's say over the exact same time frame you'd gone to the all ordinaries, which is much more volatile. You've actually made about 16%. Actually, that's not true because I'm just looking at the capital uh, returns. Adding yep. dividends there, and I would yep. suggest that that's closer to 20%. And, you give or take, yeah. and, 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 t- and so, so you've, so five years ago, it looks really good. I mean, one is the higher risk option has mm. delivered much better returns, significantly better returns. But there was a point in there, like in February of 2020, you're thinking pretty good about yourself. And then, <laughs> and then you just like 35% of your money. And then a yep. year later, you'd made it back. And then, he, and then a year later, you're at record returns. And then a year on, you're down 12%. I mean, that, that's, that's it. But it articulates the point yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Yep. And I don't Beautiful. know what's going to happen longer term, but I think a reasonable person could make a reasonable estimate that despite all of the troubles of the world, if you're looking out 10, 20 sort of years, mm. guaranteed we'll have all kinds of market um, corrections. We'll have a few crashes. We'll have a few recessions. We may even have a really bad recession or two. So I don't yep. want to pretend that yep. that's not going to happen. But yep. I would, I would be a, I'd be of the opinion, and history I think backs me up here, is that it'll be a 100% equities based ETF mm. will do much better than a any kind of diversified low risk mixed kind of ETF with bonds and cash. That's our strong conviction. Mate, let's go to a question from Jack who says, "Hello, gentlemen. Love both of your work, and I'm fascinated by your approach to investing." Hoping your education will make me a reasonably rich and happy man in 40 years when I retire. Now, Jack, if you're going to do a humble brag, mate, just throwing in casually, oh, I've got 40 years to retire. Uh, we all know you're just trying to say, I'm young and you're not, you bastards. And Jack, you have my eternal damnation, as I always do. There's no one I hate more than a young person who has more years of life left than me. So you have, you have, my, uh, you have my absolute, absolute grief. Jack says, anyway, I just want to hear your thoughts on an investment product I've come across called Fund Later by InvestSmart. But here's a quick spiel. For a 22-year-old, oh, he's even younger, I currently blow my money from part-time work in Europe. They have cleverly targeted me with their advertising. They are claiming I can deposit four grand into ETFs and receive an instant $6,000 loan on top of this to have $10,000 of capital. I know what you're thinking, margin call, margin call, margin call, but they claim this does not exist with them. How they get you is paying back $325 a month over 20 months. So effectively, you have paid 500 bucks of interest for $6,000 of capital. Also, I do have other savings to draw on for the fees, so it would be a case of not being able to. It would not be a case of being able to make the payments. Obviously, this is a rather exorbitant fee, eight point three three percent. He says, but given current market slumps, my lack of ability to make money at the current time, spending on travelling, and still have a bit of uni to go, and being twenty two years old, it doesn't sound like the worst deal to me. Not sure if I'm even seriously considering it, but it seems like a somewhat safe leverage, if that even exists. Curious to hear your thoughts, says Jack, and he signs it anonymous. He says, no, just joking. I would have put it at the top. <laughs> kind regards from Jack. Jack, I appreciate that. Uh, I, love, I love the joke, mate. I still hate you because you're 22. Uh, but I, I, I appreciate the joke. Yes, as, all, as I always say, please don't ask at the bottom of an email for me to keep you anonymous because I read from top to bottom, people. I'll put it at the top if you don't want to know. So Jack, 22-year-old Jack, the, the bane of my life, the, uh, the, the target of my envy and jealousy, uh, is asking whether he should take a product like this one. Now, I've got to say, I don't know this one particularly well and not in, not um, close enough to have a specific view on it. You may, Andrew, so I'll throw it to you first. Uh, but, you know, putting in four grand, getting instant loan on top and paying an 8.3% fee, good deal, bad deal, something else. Yes, yeah, so my, my initial um, caveat is I, I do not know. I'd never heard of it until you just mentioned mm. it then. Um, but at face value, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. We've often said the problem with leverage is... 
is the possibility of a margin call. So that is you become mm-hmm. a forced seller in a, in a down market. So if that's not yeah. a potentially, that takes one of those risks away. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other potential difficulty here, just very quickly scrolling, is I think they've got preset portfolios. So it would also depend on, on what those portfolios look like. Mm-hmm. how they can change it. I mean, you've got really smart guys like Evan Lucas and Paul Clitheroe and Effie Zahos and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the team there looking after yep. it. Alan Kohler, I think, is involved. There are people with mm-hmm. good reputations and, and the rest of it. So mm-hmm. it seems it seems reasonable. Um, and what's wrong with taking a 8%, 8% debt on mm-hmm. a on a uh, 60% LVR? Um, the gamble here is, is that you will make far more than what it costs you in interest. And again, this is where it gets tricky, right? Because the past is no guarantee of the future. (laughs) But assuming the portfolio is reasonably diversified, really reasonably sensible, reasonably safe, Mm. assuming that those interest rate charges can't change or there's no sort of terms and conditions where they can just rug pull you under there, assuming that markets continue to do what they generally do over the long term, Mm -hmm. it's probably probably okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in the same... I'm in the same... Um, boat as you I think mate I, I you have to believe their pre-mixed um, options will work uh, I would also and I don't and by the way I completely agree with you on people like Paul Clitheroe and Kohler and Effie Zahos and, and Evan Lucas really smart capable thoughtful people um, with you know unimpeachable ethics as far as I know um, so you know I, I, there, are, there are many more organisations to invest in than, or invest with than these guys um, so a couple of things one is, yep, you're paying a fee to invest up front, so you're hoping to make more than that. Uh, second thing is, it's a 20-month deal, and their investment horizons for each of the pre options are at least five years, which is fine. We should, we, I would agree with that 100%, but just be mindful that the, the time frame may not work out as well as you might like it to. Um, uh, you know, you are, you are racing the debt. You are saying, okay, well, in the next 20 months, if I saved it myself and saved the 500 bucks, I'd have 10 and a half grand invested in, in, in that period of time. And I might have made some money on that anyway. Uh, the question really is, you know, is the money being made in the next 20 months or not? So that, that's the open question. Because again, remember, you could actually finish and the, the portfolio could be worth nine grand or eight grand or seven grand. Uh, or it might have gone, it might be worth 10 and a half grand. You paid 10 and a half grand, but you paid up you know, some of that in fees and you might have been better to invest separately. So that's always the challenge. Um, I have said, like this product, you know, if I had a chance to borrow a million dollars without a margin call, I'd do it tomorrow at a reasonable fee. Um, the the fee that look, the rate's pretty high. I will say, eight point three three percent is not is not small. Um, I would be a little bit mindful of that. Uh, you know, if equities do eight percent or nine percent, you're kind of you know roughly breaking even. You might have some um, uh, tax benefits of the debt. No, I don't. I assume it's I assume it's classed as as uh, investment debt for the purposes of tax. So you probably got some benefit there. Um, maybe you make some gains. Maybe you don't. I don't. I don't. I don't dislike it. I, I think I probably wouldn't do it. I probably would just put three hundred twenty-five dollars a month away and do it that way. Um, if you're going to be adding money regularly, you might as well be doing it. What you're really doing is you're just betting that um, against invest smart in this case that if I get there first, then I'll make more money than I if I invest regularly and steadily over twenty months. I would just do the other. Um, I don't think you need the structure. I don't think you need the process. You don't need the, the product necessarily. Um, I just do it. Now it can give you some a little bit like you know I I, I don't mind home mortgages because they're forced savings right they, they, at the end of the mortgage for 30 years you own a house you probably wouldn't have invested or saved that much every month if you hadn't been made to by the bank manager so there's some value in my investment saying you're gonna pay me 325 dollars a month whether you like it or not at the end of it you will have ten ten thousand dollars worth of money invested it might not be worth that at that point but you've at least you've done that you've gone through the motions you've gone through the process you've developed a saving and investing habit i think those things are really pos- possible so i like it a lot um, the, the only last thing I would say is what I don't know, and I don't want to cast, a, I want to make a view, but because you're investing in those portfolios they've already created, there's almost well, very likely to be um, investment fees within the product itself. So if you think about the potential returns you're going to earn, uh, you've got to get some sort of market return, plus or minus whatever the fund does. You're then going to pay fees on top of that. Uh, so, you know, again, just, just be mindful of, of where it goes and how that all kind of nets out. I don't know what the fees are again i have to have a better look but just be careful you're comfortable with that um it also looks like they use a lot of they're investing a lot overseas um th- so last one i thought it was the last one it's not this is the last one uh i'm not sure if now is the best time to be putting money into u.s investments in australian dollars just straight out so 
if you're taking some of that $10,000 and you're buying shares in companies that are listed in the US and the dollar goes from 63 cents back up to 75 or something over that time frame, that's a decent headwind to be sailing into, particularly with borrowed money. That's it, mate. Did anything I say bring up any extra thoughts for you? No, I'm just, I was furiously clicking away at my calculator while you were chatting mm. there. And um, mm. I mean, you can see the appeal of it at a, at a high level uh, yep. with, with things oh, yeah, going absolutely. your way. Because if you mm-hmm. if you start with the 4,000 that you've got and you yep. assume a 10% average return, yes, you know, you eventually grow that to 6,400 and odd dollars or 60 odd percent return over five years. Yep. If you take your 4,000, add another 6,000 to it, grow it at the same rate, so the same market mm-hmm. conditions, you get to 16,000. Now, you've actually mm-hmm. tipped in 6,500 extra, yeah. so just yeah. to normalize things, take that all off. But you're still left, even after that, with the loan and taking off 500 bucks in interest, you're still left with 9,500. So that's 137% return. So effectively, yep. you've, you've, you've doubled your, the amount of profit that you've made. And that's the beauty of leverage, right? That is, yep. that is, yep. that is why you would bother doing it in the first place. Um, it's, just, it's just always worth remembering. And that, that's, mm. that is, that is um, compelling, what I just said. Mm. I found, <laughs> I'm doing the numbers thinking, hmm, maybe I should take on some debt. Because you know, <laughs> it is very compelling. You've just always got to remind yourself that, uh, as, as you rightly did, that, that <laughs> there is no free lunch. And yeah. it, you know, everything could go to pot. Um, yep. And, and, yep. and then you just, yeah. Just I mean, it's worth, uh, strange, strange times, right? But it's also worth saying the investment growth portfolio, for example, over the last five years has gained 5% a year. Mm. So if you if you mm. paid 8%, you gained 5%. Uh, yeah, I, 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 these guys are, are smart, thoughtful investors. I like the investment team. I like the business. I like the people involved. I have nothing against them. But just remember, had you done this five years ago or, or a year ago, so, so a year ago, the, market, the, the funds are down to 9%, as is most things, including Motley Fool Share Advisors scorecard. I'm not at, at all blaming them or pointing anything towards them. I'm simply saying they lost 9% over the last year. If you'd have borrowed that money, you would have paid the 8% interest. You would have had 9% loss and you go, oh, bugger. Now, if you'd invested more slowly over that period of time, would you have been better off? I don't know. And again, in a year's time, these numbers could be exactly reversed. So we're not saying don't do it. We're just saying this is the sort of, you know, reality that you're living in, the sort of, the sort of you know, um, circumstances that you're simply just allowing for. Um, they cap their fees, by the way, um, at 0.55%. Um, but again, that comes off your returns. Just, just think about all those things. I, you know what, mate? Generally speaking, with smaller amounts for younger people, like bloody Jack, who I hate, um, the, the the thing I would say is, you know what? I would I would always even with, with helping teenagers learn to invest, I would I would always favour the uh, the experience and the discipline of doing something like this over the actual total returns, which I know sounds anathema to you know especially we maximising returns for our listeners, right? Mm-hmm. If Jack does this and I, he puts some of his money in, he starts investing. He's invested in a diversified park basket of assets, and he has to add money every single month for twenty months. Two years from now, he's got a portfolio that's hopefully worth more than he put in, or at least you know some reasonable large amount of money. He's probably got more money than he would have had had he not done this, because he probably would have kept spending his money in Europe rather than putting in three hundred twenty-five dollars a month to make this work. He's probably developed some, had some experience, had some winners and some losers. So he's kind of you know that sort of experience is really really valuable. And I've got to say honestly, to your point, um, I'd almost say this sort of thing: yeah, just do it because if you if you're interested and you want to, give it a go because you know worst comes to worst, you'll have a slightly lower return you might have had otherwise. Hmm. And if you get you know a couple of years worth of experience, you get a foot in the door, you get some forced saving. That's a that's not a bad trade off. Even if and if the results better than you would have got, then it's even better again. Any more thoughts on that? No, no. I wish it was. I, I just wouldn't it be nice if things were like definitely do this or de- <laughs> yeah, exactly. definitely don't without question. It's always now, funnily, there's always a but or an <laughs> if. Funnily enough, Rich asks a similar question. He says, "Just got ram on a previous pods. I'm sure you've mentioned that one advantage of property." over shares is the ability to leverage at low interest rates with very little to no chance of the bank calling in your loan. And therefore you'd have to sell your home even if there's a downturn in the market. I'm also sure you've mentioned that if you get a low interest margin loan with no margin calls, you would back up the truck. I just did then, Rich, but I had before as well. Some basic maths would suggest that taking out a loan at 80% LVR, 6% interest, and investing in an index fund, assuming a 9% average annual return, over the long term, you'd be significantly better off than doing the same thing unleveraged even though you're paying interest. That's also true. Now, especially with the tax we... deductions, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yes. I'm going to stop for one second because the 6% is the assumption and the 9% is the assumption. And we know, I'm pretty sure I saw the other day, I'm a Comset customer. And I think they increased their margin loan rates and I'm going to quickly see if I can, I think I'm clever enough to get it really quickly. Here we go. Ah, oh, top of the page, beautiful. So uh, 13 days ago, they changed their rate. 
uh, the variable rate for a marginal loan is now 8%. Now, I only say that because if you assume your 9% annual return, that, you know, the, the gap gets gap gets smaller. So it, thing about assumptions is it's like economists, right? They say, if, if, if these assumptions hold, then this is what's going to happen. What if they don't? Well, no, but let's just assume they do. So again, I'm not, not disagreeing with you, Rich. I'm just, I'm just making the point that, um, that, that, you know, the assumptions absolutely do tell you a story. But if you change those assumptions or if the assumptions don't hold, then you get something different. Anyway, Rich goes on. Appreciate the items here which pose the most risk would surely be, he's about to say exactly this, the delta or the difference between the interest rate and the average annual return of the fund and the bank's commitment to, not, uh, to no margin calls. Therefore, what's your view on NAB Equity Builder? And am I missing something? Full on. That's from Richard. He says, from the New South Wales Central Coast. Beautiful part of the world, Richard. I'll grab this one first, mate, only because it's kind of like the last question we answered. Different yep. product. Um, Similar-ish scenario. Uh, I don't expect NAB to screw you. Um, no promises, no guarantees. Uh, but, you know, they're not, they're not out there. To, they're, they're, uh, if, you, if you have the no-name provider... Uh, the chance they either deliberately or accidentally screw you is just higher. Well, we I got to stop go you there. We, we did have a Royal Commission which showed that the major banks were absolutely doing really bad <laughs> things. So I don't think they're, they're not going to set up a product deliberately to try and screw people, screw their their customers over. Though I don't think they're going to try and uh, foreclose on a whole lot of these. No, things no. Look again, again, Henlon's razor. Right? Don't don't ascribe to yeah. malice what can yeah, be ascribed exactly. to stupidity or just incompetence. <laughs> but but also yeah. just in the in the AFI yesterday, I was reading Comsec got pinged. <laughs> $20 million fine for overcharging people as well. True, true. I had true, to tweet, isn't it funny how the errors are always in the bank's favour? <laughs> they never make an error where all of a sudden all of their customers find more money in their accounts who are undercharged, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, funny rant that. over. Please continue. All right. Uh, anyway, I was just going to say, yeah, I, I don't think the product is... Well, so what, what what individual people choose to do given certain incentives is a, is a different question. I don't, I don't think they're creating a product to try and screw you. They're trying to make a margin on what it's going to cost you and what comes back. I think banks are crazy not to do this sort of stuff, quite honestly. Um, because of what we just talked about, Ram, you know, banks, they make a tiny margin between bond market rates and, and the official cash rate and and, and sort of deposit interest and then blending it out on housing. And housing is much, I'll say safer in air quotes, don't don't at me, Andrew. I uh, or anything. Um, but uh, you know, the, the, the you know the, the idea has been in the past, well, shares too risky, that's why they have margin loans and all that kind of stuff. I just think, I think it's a bit... They know that people are going to misuse margin loans, which is why they have to keep people on a tight leash. But something like this product, it, just make, it makes so much sense. If I was a bank and I could, if I could borrow money from someone else and then lend it to people to invest in shares, I would do it tomorrow and I would do a lot of it, as much as I possibly could, as long as I can control the circumstances, which is what NAB is absolutely doing with this one. Because over time, I, you know, exactly the reason you've said, Rich, I would absolutely back up. So if I could borrow a million dollars tomorrow at 3% for 30 years, I would do it tomorrow. In a heart, well, they won't lend me 30, 30 year loan anymore. I'm getting old, but you know what I mean. Um, so look, I, I think we've we've already answered the question on fund later. It's a basically the same style of product. I'm sure there are differences. So if you're listening from NAB or Invest Smart, please don't add us either. Um, that's what the cool kids say when they say, "Don't have a go at me." <laughs> Just for those who don't know, the 60 year old know, Andrew talking about that. Friday. You, you tell me as if I don't know that, mate. No, I'm, I'm my telling fingers you, fingers on the pulse. <laughs> Tapped into oh, the zeitgeist, my friend. Oh, it's, oh, mate, one of the cool kids. Uh, anyway, I I wouldn't borrow money at eight percent for investing in shares. Bottom line, uh, because I don't know what the future return is going to be, uh, and that interest is very high. Um, it is tax deductible, so there's that, and that's not nothing. Uh, but then you've got to pay tax on the gains, so it's not a one-way street either. It's tax deductible because they're going to get you on the other way around, in theory. Um, I don't like. I don't just like Equity Builder at all. Um, now I don't. Now he says six percent. It may well be that Nav Equity Builder is locked at six. But the other thing is check the variable rate because if they check the variable rate up to ten percent all of a sudden, and you're going to even if you get the nine percent, the longer you have this product, the more money you're going to lose. It you know, literally lose. Not even not even make less than the market. Literally lose. Uh, so yes, you're right. If I could lock in a permanent low rate, I would take a risk. Uh, eight six percent. I don't think I'd do the deal. Eight percent. I definitely wouldn't do the deal. How about you? <sighs> I, I think you make a lot of sense. It's a personal decision as long as you're going yep. in ice wide open. I, I would say that there is, it's not a black and white thing, right? So mm-hmm. there's uh, Rich has said 80%. You've said 0% for what's right for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could come in and say, well, what about a 20% LVR? Every <sighs> every amount of leverage is giving me a little bit of extra juice from squeezing. I don't, I reckon I reckon the LVR, can I, can I say just be controversial? I reckon that's entirely the wrong way to think about it. Oh, yeah. Just to, just to put, it, put my finger in your eye. 
because it's kind of like it, it's it's only the return you get on that cash. So the LVR is just avoiding the margin call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the only reason it matters, right? Because you borrow if you're borrowing ten dollars or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, and you get you pay eight percent and you earn nine percent on it. That's all that matters, right? The LVR is it, the margin loan. The margin call risk is absolutely right. Um, but if you take out the margin loan, I don't think the LVR actually matters because the amount you borrow is you, you've got to get a return on the incremental borrowing that is in excess of the cost, you know, of, of taking that borrowing in the first Absol- place. Absolutely. Although is one, so? one is after pre-tax expense. And yes, that. correct. So there is, there is correct, that correct. too. But you, yes, yep. no, it's an excellent Spot point. On. But um, yeah, very much from the risk, like the, the, the odds yeah, of a margin call on a 20% yes, LVR yes. versus 80 is vastly, vastly different. Agreed. So, so I, yeah, I mean, you know, um, again, just go in eyes wide open. To your earlier point on should the banks do this, well, mm. they can't lose. They can't lose. It's, it's actually safer. It's safer yeah. yes. than, than at home lending. <laughs> because let, let's say we all default yep. on our home loans and they go, okay, well, fine, I'm just going to sell your house. Okay, yep. well, generally that's you know, that's going to take a long time to sell mm-hmm. the house, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. They can, I, yep. I used to work in margin lending way, way, way back in the day, almost 20 years ago. It's your fault. And, right. and, and they have these buffers and there's a very highly liquid market. Mm. The determinant as to whether they will lend against uh, a, a security yeah. isn't so much its market cap, but its liquidity. So the second that you get close to being uh, outside of the, the LVR <laughs> constraints, they just yeah. press a button and liquidate so, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. you know, like, so so yeah. is it is it impossible for them to to blow themselves up from the bank? Well, if 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 there is a, a flash crash and that so I would yeah. you ne- one thing in finance is you learn to say never, never say never. Yeah, that's um, right. Because it can happen. They can find a way. They can find a way. Yeah, Long term exactly. capital management is yeah. a um oh, is a yeah. is a company is a is a very good uh exemplar mm-hmm. of that. But but yes, you're right. I mean, why why wouldn't they? But just remember, and this is this is the other point to make is that none of them, and this isn't being mean. This is just you know the reality of 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 commerce and business. They they're not doing it because they they have this urge to do good in the world. They're doing it because they see an opportunity to sell a product and make a profit. Oh, totally. Yeah, right? absolutely. So and they, just, and they, they can. That's my take. Like, I just yeah. why wouldn't you if you thought you could? Like, you, like, it's just a no-brainer for mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. You can, char- you can charge higher rates than home loans, and you can. And you got a better return, probably, and and you know the more this grows, as long as you manage the the over from the bank's perspective, not from not from mine, the bank's perspective. I, don't, I just totally a no brainer. And they manage their books too, so it's like if it turns out yes. that all their clients pile into CBA, they can say actually we're lowering that. So they they can always manage yeah. things from their own exposure perspective mm. very cleverly. Mm. So it's yeah, it's a no it's a no brainer from them. Is it a no brainer for investors? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a that's a personal consideration. Yeah, I don't think I borrow six. I definitely wouldn't borrow at eight. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, um, got a question from Adam who says, Hi guys, thanks again for your sage advice. I get, see what you did there, Adam? Mm-hmm. Sage Simeon, sage mm-hmm. advice. Hey, hey. And I enjoy a lazy Sunday listening to the mailbag. My question is about cash reserves in retirement. I like this one. You both say you're 100% invested in the market with no cash reserve. At what stage or age do you consider a cash buffer for retirement? Is 4% of total assets in cash for cost of living enough, even in the downturn when you retire? Is a rule, is, sorry, there is a rule of thumb that 100 minus your age to give a percentage of assets in shares. It seems crazy low, considering that at retirement, you could be around for another 30 years and miss out on all that lovely compounding in the market. Would love to hear your thoughts on this. Thanks and full on, Adam. Good questions, mate. Um, oh, great question. Let's go in reverse because it's mm-hmm. easier that way. The rule of thumb, 100 minus your age. So there's, there's a general rule. Okay, well, you take 100% of your portfolio. 100 minus your age is what you have in shares, the rest in bonds. So if you're 70, you've got 30% in shares, 70% in bonds. If you're 80, 90. And also, by the way, if you're you know, 20, you should have 20% in bonds in theory. Uh, your thoughts on that as an asset allocation strategy? Stupid, hate it, forget it, don't like it at all. So you're, telling, you're telling me a 20-year-old should have 20, you know, um, what was it? Twenty yeah, percent of their their money yeah. in bonds? Like, get out, yeah. It's ridiculous. Even a fifty year old, I'm going to have half of my money in bonds. Get out! It's ridiculous. The the other thing is as well. It's completely lacking context. Mm-hmm. Let's say for the make make it stupid that I'm worth a hundred million dollars. <laughs> like, okay. 
my allocation yeah. strategy is going to be very different to someone who's got a hundred thousand yeah, right. dollars because that's I can right. suffer. I can suffer an eighty percent drawdown and still be fine. You know, yeah. I'm still going out shopping for Ferraris every weekend. It doesn't make any difference <laughs> to my lifestyle. If you've if you've got a hundred thousand dollars in retirement, you can't. I mean, that is that is a crippling kind of blow. So again, I know it. I know it frustrates people, mm, but mm. but it depends. I, I would tend to I the other way I've heard it expressed, which I prefer, is try and have enough cash that, that will cover your basic necessary living expenses for two to three years. That yeah. way, if the yeah. market absolutely falls out of bed, yeah, correct. you're not a forced seller because you can pay for the groceries, pay the rent, or whatever whatever essential expenses you have are covered. Yeah. That I think is a much better way to look at it. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna yeah I, I'm gonna sit somewhere between the two of you guys and I'm gonna talk uh, I do I've done this before I don't I don't love doing it because I feel like I'm plugging a service but I'm not uh, so Motley Fool has a service called Everlasting Income and what we did there is we said okay we're gonna take a million dollars of the Motley Fool's money which we did which is again speaking of career risk um, and we're gonna invest it in some stocks and we're gonna build a portfolio and we're gonna use that portfolio to fund regular cash withdrawals without selling the shares. And so for the last, she's almost five years now. That's exactly what we've done. So what we've done is we've said, okay, we invested that money. We have a 4% cash buffer and we used that to f- basically smooth out the flow of dividends because they come in twice a year, generally speaking. So that every, and, and that cash account, if you like, just ebbs and flows. So you take out money every single month, take money out, take money out, take money out, take money out. And every six months or so, you get a massive in cash influx of, of money being put into the portfolio from dividends, and then you slowly draw it down. And I think it, so it depends entirely on what, how you're structuring your, your portfolio, and also how much money you need. Now, if you've only got $100,000 in retirement, you're going to be drawing down, you're going to be selling shares regularly to fund your retirement until that money's all gone, and then you're on the pension. And that's, that, that's a perfectly fine. In that circumstance, to Andrew's point, you want to have two or three years of, of cash on the sidelines because you know it, it, you, you, it, the, once the pot's gone, it's gone, and you don't want to be taking it out at inopportune times or selling at the wrong times. If you've got though enough money, and, and let's pick a million dollars for fun, that's you know forty grand a year at four percent is kind of what we draw down out of that. Uh, any excess money, by the way, stays in and gets reinvested, so it's up over one point one million dollars or something. I checked it. Um, and, and that's just how, so, so, you know, I would say 4% was completely enough because we're replenishing the dividends. Now, if the dividends went to zero for a year, eventually we run out, we have to sell some shares. But even when we had, when we had the dividend cuts during COVID, the dividends got cut. And so that cash buffer went down a little bit and then went back up when the dividends were reinstated. We didn't sell a single share to fund income and we kind of got on with it. And I'm not saying that to, to plug the service. I'm saying that because I can tell you exactly what we have done rather than make it a hypothetical question. So the question really is, are you generating enough income from your portfolio without needing to sell? If you are, that's a very different story to I'm going to have to sell down to fund my life, in which case you want to have that cash on the sidelines to Andrew's point so you're not forced to do it while you are, in, you know, while, while shares are down. Is that fair, mate? Yeah, yep. Perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. I do have a, I do have a, a follow-on question for you when it comes to that though. So We've talked before about, and we've kind of t- talked about this concept a little bit, but just to kind of push the, push the question out a little bit further, we have, we've talked about the way you'd structure a portfolio between now and retirement and then in retirement in terms of you know, growth and different ways of funding. Some people would say, I, I fund my retirement income with zero dividend stocks. I'm just going to sell small portions of the most overvalued stocks or just the ones I want to or whatever, you know, selectively selling down. Warren Buffett himself hasn't paid a dividend since 65. And his argument is exactly that. Sell down, sell some Berkshire shares regularly. Use that to fund your life. Leave the money invested in my company. I will compound it for you better than if you went to cash or look for you know, lower quality dividend paying stocks. As you and I get ever closer to retirement, our kids remind us we're getting older, um, what are you thinking about when it comes to how a portfolio might be positioned as you kind of get closer to retirement than in retirement? Have you, have you kind of thought that far forward? I haven't given it deep thought. There's always been an assumption okay. that I would probably ease back on the risk and probably bias more towards some mm. dividend-paying mm. stocks. Mm. Um, in my mind, um, I'm I have compounded such an insane amount of wealth that it's it's that consideration I said before. Mm. <laughs> the other rational part of my brain is get real, and you should probably think <laughs> a little bit more smart about that. So. Um, but mm. I, I'm so I, I'm happy to say it. I'm I'm 47. Mm. 
Um, I expect I'll be working for 20 years. So it seems it's not that far away, but it's far enough away that I don't have to start making any moves. It's probably going to be yeah. maybe five, eight years out, depending on what the what the, the general picture looks like for me <laughs> in terms of the yeah. amount of capital that it will, will yeah. look like at that point in time. It's a lot of time yeah. for compounding to do its magic, you know. <laughs> it so it at is. this point, I'm so far away from it that I am I am 100% growth, baby. And, and mm. I say that- mm cognizant of that that makes me sound extremely risk tolerant and the rest of it. I guess I'm very volatility yeah. tolerant. I'm very risk adverse yeah. as a person. So yeah. so I just so a lot of this language we use, particularly in this industry, is is very there's a lot of baggage that that comes that comes mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. So I, I want growth, but I, I like to think that I'm I'm buying businesses that are very sound quality businesses mm-hmm. with bright futures and you know if the market wants to call them volatile or or high risk because <laughs> they're small then you know i, I don't really care I, i'm i'm taking yeah. i'm doing the buffett thing really i'm taking ownership in what i think are good quality businesses that i think 5 yeah. 10 20 years out will be much bigger than they are today and if the uh, path there is a very zigzaggy one then so be it i'd much mm-hmm. rather that than a very smooth path to mediocrity personally so <laughs> nice line. You know, that's that's nice that's line. the way i that's that's how i roll as the cool kids say <sighs> i've <sighs> I, here's what I, I've said a little bit about this before, but here's what I'm thinking about is there's, one, there's, there's two, there's, there's a range of different ways to do it. The next step down in the continuum from your view is people who've said they buy, and this, I, think, I like this idea, you buy faster growing companies and you buy smaller businesses and you buy them early enough in your life that by the time you get to retirement, they become the <laughs> yeah. dividend paying machine. Right? Like, yeah. Apple, Apple's a great example of that where, yeah. you know, loss making almost goes broke great new idea, grows like the clappers, eventually slows down, starts paying dividend. The dividend gets bigger over time and you go, well, great. I've, just, I, I've, I've actually had my cake and eaten it too. Now, I think that's, it is a great idea. It, it does assume you're going to get that right, which is important. It also though, to some degree, I think asks you to not sell those shares and buy a better idea because you're hanging off. Like you got to be careful. Almost to your point about, you know, you want the growth because you want to maximize your returns in the meantime. You know, selling Apple 10 years ago and buying Tesla, for example, just to pick two companies that have been fast growers, would have been better than saying, I'll wait till Amazon starts paying a dividend in terms of total returns. So I think you've got to be a little bit careful about how you how you think that through because mm-hmm. it can actually cost you money if you sort of say, well, I'll sit here and not be... I won't be uh, um, what's the right word? Not judgmental, but you know, I, I won't be. I won't be trying to make sure I can maximise my returns. I'll just sit on this because I've got it, and I might as well keep it, and that's going to be fine. So that's in the middle. On the other end is kind of the. I'm kind of almost. Neil and I aren't. We're not that dissimilar, funnily enough, but we have some very different views. I'm. I'm thinking about getting closer to what if I don't have to sell? Almost the everlasting income idea I talked about before mm. of if I could buy things now. And I could avoid, and I could get reasonable returns. Maybe they're not even market betting, but hopefully they are, or at least market matching. But I never have to pay tax on that. If I never, if I can, if I can compound that for, let's assume I'm working for another twenty-five years. Uh, haha. Uh, if I can, if I can compound that for twenty-five years, but then avoid paying tax on that, I, w- I avoid losing well, at that point, say a quarter for the fun of it, a quarter of that asset value, which I then got to redeploy into, into income. I can, I can keep that, never ever pay the capital gains tax, or at least not for a very long time take the income from it you think about the returns you'd have to get on a, on a post-tax if i if i sold every five years and paid the tax and then bought something else and sold it bought something else and sold it, bought something else and sold it if i get the same thing for 25 years but also then never sell it not only just pay tax once but never you know realize the capital gain uh i'm not so sure that's not at least for a portion of my portfolio something to start thinking about as i get closer to retirement yeah. just to avoid that massive massive you know, what's, what's, was it Munger's line? The, you know, rule number one of compounding is never interrupted unnecessarily. Yep. If, I, if I could have something that effectively was perpetually compounding, I'm not so sure I wouldn't do it. I'm not so sure it wouldn't be worth doing. What, what's your thought on that kind of continuum of all growth maximized returns? Someone who says, well, I'll buy, I'll buy stuff that might grow and then I'll get something. And then the idea of just saying, you know what? Not, not, not avoiding tax for the sake of avoiding tax, but if I can always use pre-tax returns to, to generate income, there's a natural mathematical benefit in that as well. It makes perfect sense. So I, I want to I want to be clarify here. I'm not trying to say that with a growth strategy that you should be mm. buying this and then selling it a year later and then finding the next right, right. the next hot yep. stock. Yep. And buy, yep. that, that is absolutely not. In fact, and sorry if I if I didn't mean to apply that, I know it wouldn't be you. So yeah, I mean the, the dream the dream is absolutely to buy what is you know classed as a small cap stock mm. today that becomes mm. really good and I never sell. But it, <laughs> it really yeah. throws people when you say. Oh, 
well, you know, when's your best time to sell? And you go, never. I'm like, yeah, but yeah. Well, I, get <laughs> well, you, I get where you're coming from, but, you know, at some but, point, yeah. right? At some point. <laughs> like, no, no, I, no why, really, why yeah. would I? Yeah. And I, yeah. Let me give you the best yeah. example. And this is cherry picking, I know, but, you know, go with me here. So <laughs> you're a 45-year-old in the year 2002, and you buy uh, this small cap company called REA Group, real estate online. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. People are still buying papers, can you believe it? Like cavemen. <laughs> and you have a bit of vision here that think, actually, the internet's probably going to disrupt uh, this industry. This yeah. has got some pretty serious bracking, some really strong user growth. I think this is the thing, so I'm going to buy it. <laughs> and you could have bought it at 20 cents a share, right? Yeah. This yeah. isn't, I could have picked much more favorable. Well, I'm just going back 20 years arbitrarily here. You got a much yeah. favorable in the, in the tech rec and the rest of it. So, you know, not only is it $120 a share now, so you're insanely mm. rich on a capital basis, but each year it pays out a dollar six. In fact, it grows every year. It pays out $1.60. Mm-hmm. So for something that mm-hmm. you bought for 20 cents is now paying you a dollar sixty each year. And if I decide that I want an extra ivory back structure, I might sell a few shares. <laughs> but but so long as that picture, and again, as I said before, it doesn't matter what your profit or loss is. You should always sell if the, the future changes. But so mm-hmm. long as this remains an attractive business, why would you ever sell it for? What? Yeah. What? Why am I interrupting that for? I've got to now go find mm-hmm. something else that's that's even close to doing this. That's the dream. So that's exactly what I'm looking to do, mate. I'm 100% with you. Never sell. I will sell because some of them will turn out to be duds. And it's not like I'm, I'm, there's some um, self-deprecation modesty here. It's like, no, <laughs> fact. Some of them are going to turn out to be yeah. huge duds. Even, yes. the, even the winners, and this is REA Group's an example of this, even the winners- they're going to have horrible periods of drawdown where you'll be like tossing and turning at night thinking, oh, what, my God, I've made a mistake. <laughs> well, you know, REA Group has had 20, 30% drawdowns you know, yeah. dozens of times over, it, yeah. over, that, over that journey. In fact, it's, it's going through one at the moment. It was 180 bucks a share not that long mm-hmm. ago. And in June, it got down to 95. How's that? It got cut in half, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, at the same time, um, it just proves the point brilliantly and mm. and and everyone will go. Oh, you were so lucky. You know, I wish I could do that. It, but but mm. you know, could have, would have, should have. There are companies today, right now, on the ASX that will do that in the next twenty years. I don't know what they are. I hope I hope I can find a, a handful of them. If I've if I've got a twenty stock portfolio and only one of them do that, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. And hopefully two or three, right? Or even two or three that go half as well as that because that's an mm. extreme outlier there. But that is that is why I, I invest in in um, industry disruption because <laughs> you get to you get to steal it all. Mm. Um, uh, and, and that's why I, I invest long-term and that's why I invest in growth because as attractive as it is to invest in some big blue chip company that might pay me a three and a half percent fully frank dividend and maybe get 3% growth. And we know with compounding mm. over time, that will do you very well. And it's a good yeah, savings mechanism. Yeah. Nah, swing it for the fences, baby. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm doing it in a way that, that is hopefully a little bit more, yeah. uh, it, it's not, it's not lottery ticket stuff, right? I'm, I'm looking yeah, for, for sure. the, the things that, and I think you could, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I think, I think you could have put a basket of high growth tech stocks together in 2002. There's a very good chance that REO was one of them um, because it, it had the traction. It ha- was the market leader. It had the economics. It had the, I mean, it just, just everything sort of lined up. The next yeah. biggest challenge, and this is probably, to be honest with you, this is the bigger challenge, is, is getting out of the damn way um, because <laughs> so at 20 true. cents, you were, at the, so you were like, true. okay, this is the bet. Oh, 80 cents. Maybe I should sell some. Mm, yeah. Maybe not yeah, $2. Yeah. Now yeah, I've 10X'd yeah. it. Now I'm going to sell some. Mm. And we, we make all these stupid decisions based on, on the past yeah. when really yeah. to the point you made earlier, you should be averaging up because it's much more expensive. In fact, it's 10 times more expensive at $2 at 20 cents. But the risk reward proposition is far, far more attractive because now it's even more ingrained. Now the network effect, effects are even more powerful, you know? So they just, just, you know, eyes forward, yep. eyes on the horizon. Yep. Uh, sometimes you've just got to get out of, get out of your own way. No, I hear you for sure, mate. I hear you for sure. It's, um, it, it's fascinating the... The, the, the tricks we play on ourselves to do that sort of stuff, and I, I like your I like your point about the losers too, because that's the other thing is it, it, when you say you guarantee it, it's almost I, I would say not you're not you're not being self-deprecating. You made that point clearly, but even more than that, if you're not making those big losers, you're probably not doing it properly. At least not the way you choose to prosecute your own investing style. Right, oh, you're hey, looking yeah. for those things, yep. and you're saying I am embracing some risk because when I get it right, the returns will be great. Yeah, but I won't always get it right. So it's not not even a case of like I think they'll all be great. 
and then it turns out some of them aren't yeah. and I'm surprised it's yeah. like I, I hope they're all great I think on balance I have a really really good chance of doing very very well here but they won't be and if I if I try and I've said this so many times if you try and shave off the edges if you try and say I won't take that risk or that risk or that risk or that risk, what's left cash mm. right? you know because that, that, you can't you know what if, what if all this is overpriced what if someone else comes in on does online grocery what if uh, they try and do a hardware store thing and it doesn't work what if Aldi gets too big what if okay well I won't buy Woolies then mm. alright well let's talk about BHP well what if the commodity price okay well I won't buy what about CSL well it could be the case that well okay I won't do that the, the presence of risk is not sufficient to not invest you have to understand the risk you have to understand the potential t- um, you know risk and reward uh, all the trade-off that you might get or not like, yeah and and don't yeah. i'm not saying take every risk because that's also stupid but um that's i think a really important point you make is your style will by definition i've said this so many times I, i've made some really big mistakes but the same rationale i've used for those is the rationale that's given me some you know seven eight nine ten baggers yeah so what should i do should i stop doing it no now if i could find a way to refine the process of course i would if i could have fewer losers or more winners of course i would take it but mm. you know some of that is i don't know but this seems like a good bet to me and i won't always win but when it does, it'll win big enough to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And I'll just reiterate one more point. I know I made it before, but I just have to hammer it mm-hmm. home because whenever whenever I'm talking about my biggest regrets in this game, and I've got more than a few, it's honestly mm-hmm. not the stock that went down 60%. Yeah. Um, my biggest regrets are when I look back on some of the investments I'd made six, seven years ago and sold mm-hmm. at yeah. a great profit. So at a so great true. profit. Like, honestly, at the time, I thought I was the mm-hmm. next Charlie Munger. I was like, oh, look at that. I just got 80% in two years. <laughs> you know, how easy is this game? Except, you know, all the usual hubris yep. that leads to disaster. Yep. And it was a great return. But um, this isn't a humble brag. This is, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Because if I'd yep. just done nothing, yeah. it would yeah. be worth uh, 10x from that. So, uh, you, you, you <laughs> yeah. I, okay. I sometimes think, I sometimes think what I really should do spend a year of deep dive research on finding 20 great stocks huh. that I've got no ch- and I, and then saying I nothing w- will allow me to sell just don't sell mm. even when yeah. it like oh this is this thing's going to zero yeah like, no don't yep. sell 100%. don't sell because 100%. as my point before if you'd put $10,000 in the market and you just bought 1000 in REA group and mm-hmm. everything else went to zero yeah, that's right i mean do you understand like how yeah. significant yeah. that yeah. is yeah. as a as a return so yeah. we really are our own worst enemies um, and we can be too cute and too clever and it, it, and and the reason i did it at the time is that this is how this is how good we are at tricking ourselves i actually got <laughs> a lot of what i said but i rationalized it because i looked at my little pie charts on my spreadsheets and go, do I really want to have 40% exposure to this one stock? Like, it seems risky, right? I didn't design it that way. It's a great problem to have. It became such a ridiculous weighting in my portfolio because of that growth and everything else didn't do as well. And you think, well, it's it's sensible. In fact, it's prudent to to sell some down and, and diversify because, you know, you're really reckless and you're sitting on a good profit. Maybe it goes away tomorrow, yada, 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 yada. So sometimes I... I, I I don't know if I will ever do this, but I, I do in in some quieter moments of reflection think that's probably a sensible way to to yeah. invest. Yeah, I like that. It's um but let's let's finish on a on a lighter note, mate, because uh last week That's a pretty light note. Like what what kind of a good what what else do you want for a good story? Two twenty cents to hundred and sixty bucks. Roy and HG. <laughs> what? Roy and HG. I'm going to finish on a lighter note, which is even lighter than your stonking oh, right. successful okay. result. Um, light enough, I take your point. But there's nothing lighter than Roy and HG. We we were we were described by one of our correspondents. You love this, don't you? You're, you're running with this hard. Oh, oh, God, yeah. Mate, I tweeted it out. It was all over the place. Anyway, <laughs> the, the reason I read and mentioned it is because um, I did tweet about it just, just, for, just for fun because, you know, why not? Boring, fun, it's boring. And, uh, and we had someone come back and say, who is Roy? And it was HG. And Troy said... Scott would have to be HG. Sage underscore Simeon would be the rampaging Roy Slavin. I'm not sure which one of those uh, we should want to be or not be or, or what that says about either of us, but I thought it was interesting that uh, Troy's decided I'm HG and you're rampaging Roy Slavin. Are you happy with that? I'll go with that. I look, they, they are, I have a lot of respect for those two gents. I'll take either one, frankly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hey, um, the... Uh, I, I will say too. Speaking of speaking of feedback, uh, we got one tweet from Jonathan, who said, uh, "Private online investment club, all in uh, in 
caps has just started me quite a bit. So there you go. He's uh, <laughs> Jonathan's Jonathan's on all about the private online investment club, which I didn't mention earlier. So I had to get that in because that's contractual. Yeah. I'm obliged to. Otherwise, Andrew gets to um, throw eggs at my house. Um, one last really quick one, mate, just because it was a question that was raised uh, by Donald on, on Twitter, and I just thought we'd address it. Um, it kind of was addressed on Twitter itself, uh, but love the question. Donald was asking about the. Uh, I, I've only seen it on Comsec, but it might be elsewhere. The dividend stability measure mm. are you familiar with that one uh i i don't know if it's a standard um mm. so it would be some kind of statistical regression yeah calculation thingy and it basically would say mm-hmm. this is going to test some of my maths which i haven't done for a while but it would basically say how close <laughs> to a perfect straight line is the historical trend and the closer it is the closer it gets to 100 percent and there's actually various ways of doing that and so the, the mathematicians out there will We'll be able to point you that to that. Uh, don't take too much notice of it. I mean, that's what I was, that was the question I was going to ask. So yeah, the, yeah. the how is calculated is interesting. How much do you care about it? There, look, the, so again, the history is no guarantee of the past, but it is it is a sign. A company. If I look at a company, so often if we go on Osbiz or something like that, and someone will say, "What do you think of X?" I've never heard of it before, so I dial up Comsec or something, and I look at the the history. And if I see a company whose earnings are all over the shop and dividends are up and down, it doesn't guarantee that they couldn't be the best investment ever. But it certainly says something's that there's a reason for that. And likewise, if I see a company that's had a beautiful staircase of steadily rising dividends, even through, even if that, especially if that includes a period of, of difficult economic circumstances, that tells you something as well. Now, it doesn't guarantee anything. So it, it makes sense to look at, but you've always got to dive below the surface because the, the thing that I, point out which is kind of obvious when you think about it if it was just them mm. if investing well was just a, a matter of extrapolation yeah, exactly. we'd all be super rich and in fact actually mm. we wouldn't mm. because we'd all do it and we'd all arbitrage the opportunity away so it's kind of mm. there's a there's a um there's a dynamic again talking about mass look up uh, dynamic systems chaotic systems there's there's a self-referential feedback loops that are in play here that mean that these kinds of situations mm. if they ever do exist the very act of exploiting them cease them, meaning that they don't exist. So, Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, so it's, it's something like that. You know, it, in the sense that, in the sense that, um, oh, it gets it gets pretty deep. But all I'll say is, absolutely, Donald. It's it's noteworthy. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. More interesting question is why is it like that, and can it continue to be like that? Uh, but it's a great starting point. And relying on past history, as you said, mate, is got so many people in so many different pieces of trouble over, over over time, right? It's always been like that. Well, firstly, if it is or is like that, you, you're less likely to find mispricings where the data is clean and, and clear, is my view, right? So Woolworths, you very rarely get a bargain on Woolworths. You did about, was it seven or eight years ago when they had that master snafu and that, you know, that was only in hindsight very rare that you get mispriced on these because the cash flows are forecastable and knowable mm-hmm. and, and guessable and the range of outcomes is reasonably small and so when that's true you just tend not to get much of, a, of an opportunity to buy those things cheap because the market doesn't get them wrong enough often enough to make it worth your while um, so I think that that's probably the you know that's probably the big the big piece I think Um I, I, I agree with you, mate. The, the other thing you'd be a little bit careful of is earnings and dividend management. Uh, we all think we want stability and we all think it's supposed to make things look good. I think, I, did we say, I said last week, week before, you know, the best way to make money is to be Warren Buffett. The second best is to scam people by pretending you're Warren Buffett. Did I, did I use that <laughs> yeah, line last great. week? I love it. And it's just kind of show that idea of like, you know, oh, he says all things Warren Buffett, so he must be legitimate. It's like, if you're going to be a con man, that's exactly what you do. Like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean you're right, it doesn't mean you're wrong, but just because you said those things, if you're copying someone else's thing, that's the point. Dividend stability is like that. The staircase dividend is like, oh, great, you had a business like that. It's like, yeah, but if you're going to try and fool people, that's the business you'd want, so mm. people would buy your shares. Mm-hmm. There's kind of, it's just, it's just both, right? You need to be really, really careful. I've said for years, Sol Pats, for example, great example. I'm pretty sure they've had a dividend every year since the 1920s. I'm pretty sure they've increased it almost every year in the last 20 years. I happen to think Solpats are also reputable and reliable and and whatever. So I don't have a problem with it. But if another business, you know, it probably didn't. If Enron or HIH or ABC Learning had done those things, oh, look how, look how good this is. It's great. And they always are until they're not. And this is not an invitation, Andrew, for you to tell the turkey story as much as you desperately <laughs> want to. I know you want to tell the turkey story. We've done that recently. But it, it is. It's exactly that idea of, you know, just be careful. If people, the other thing is it's put there for confirmation bias, right? It's put there. Why is it put there? Because someone will look at it and go, oh, that looks good. I feel better about that now. 
And I'm not saying it shouldn't make you feel better. It probably should on balance. Just be mindful of the exceptions that prove the rule. Can I just have a while in the last closing minutes here? Can I just have a, a little a little rant? Um, oh, mini rant! Nice, go for it. Well, please. I I I think Woolies is one of the best businesses in Australia. Right? It's okay. a great business, but I, I I do want to do a little bit of a victory lap here because for you and I have been saying for a while it's just like great business, but I mean Jesus, Louise, the prices it was trading yeah. at, yeah. Um, it's it's come down twenty five percent from its highs of a year ago. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's not- I didn't know that. that so uh, it's massively underperformed the yeah, index. Yeah. And that's yeah. and I've got to be careful, catch myself here as well, because there's plenty of stocks that I've got that have underperformed the index as well. So mm, it's not to say mm, it means mm. anything. Maybe the market was mm. just at a stupid price a year ago. Maybe it's at a stupid price today. But, mm. but the point I've made and we made at the time is great business, but it was being priced as a growth stock. Like, it was just <laughs> never, ever, ever in physically in the realms of possibility able to deliver yeah, on. Yeah. But yeah. the other point that I really want to make is, and I, I come back because I, I do have to defend my turf a little bit here because <laughs> people love to say, oh, yeah, but small cap investing. We spoke of this at FinFest, right? This is the talk you yeah. and I gave, which I think is on YouTube yep. if anyone's interested. Oh, um, nice. um, uh, is that, oh, yeah, you can invest in small caps, but they're super volatile. It's like, well, here is the bluest of blue blue chip stocks. Like, you don't, you don't <laughs> yeah. get more blue chip yeah. than Woolies and yeah. you've put your money into it and you've lost 25%. Paper loss, yeah. yeah, and the rest of it. So I'm not, I'm not. Again, people in glass mm-hmm. houses shouldn't throw rocks. But to think <laughs> that you're going to avoid volatility by going into very high quality businesses, which it is, mm-hmm. uh, and a very big blue chip business, which it is, that pays very reliable, consistent, steadily staircase type dividends, which it does, that you you are immune from some of this market volatility. You are kidding. Mm-hmm. And no matter how quality the business price always matters and i yes, would it say it's matter. still expensive frankly yep yep yeah i i think that's really important uh, yeah yeah banks same example yep um it, it does it does it does really matter what price you pay and i think yeah i think i think it's you know what the, I, let's not make this so long it needs to be i did have a comment though the other day from actually one of our marketers and i won't name him because i don't want to i don't want to embarrass him but i haven't asked him if i could talk about it But he was talking about the kind of investor mentality. And I think that's the other thing too, is, you know, making sure you know where you are on the investment curve. Because if you've done well at investing for a long enough period of time, most people, not you actually, Andrew, um, but most people will say, when I get to a certain level of wealth, I'm going to start dialing that back. Because preservation becomes more important than, than adding to it. And I could absolutely understand someone saying, you know what, I could try and find the next afterpay or I could just buy Woolies knowing that I'm going to get a decent dividend. Hopefully, it's not overpriced and hopefully, I'll be okay. My money will grow slowly, but that's okay because I've got enough. Mm. And there are people who are 20 saying, hey, I've got all the time in the world. I'm going to try and find the big winners of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And there are people at 58 saying, I've done nothing. I've got 10 grand in my pocket. I've got to try and find the next lotto ticket winner because I'm going to buy every gold miner I can find. I hope desperately one of them goes well because I've need to. You know, i got no super and I'm stuffed. And so there's, there's, there's just so many different mentalities and time of times of life and i think you know we as financial advisors can sometimes be guilty of saying this is the best solution um but i don't think that's a bad thing i think what we need to be clear with our audience and, and why i'm mentioning it now is you got to work out what your goal is you know i get asked on i get asked on osbys all the time about you know particular stocks uh, you mentioned osbys before and they'll say oh you know should you buy it and the answer is well it, it depends on what you're looking for you know like my, my goal is mm. to build a portfolio of market beating shares that's that's why I would buy or not buy some shares. If you said to me, I oh, know I want an income portfolio. So I mentioned everlasting income one last time. We don't actually have a mandate to beat the market with that service. And you go, well, why wouldn't you? And the answer is, well, because we have a group of members who say, that's all fine, but I don't really want to take the, the risks and I don't want to, I'm not looking for capital growth. I want to know that I know that I know that I'm going to get my cash every month in the bank account's got bills to pay. Mm. And that, for me, is more important than beating the market. And, and we talk about volatility all the time. They're saying the opposite of you. Yeah, thanks. No, I don't want the volatility anymore. I, I'd rather have a lower return, and I'd rather forego volatility because it just makes me feel better sleep at night. And I think it's really, it's really interesting. One of the yeah. last point I'll make is the Motley Fool yeah, US business occasionally does a Twitter poll. And they ask people, what would you rather do, make money or beat the market? Mm. And 90% of people almost every time say, I want to make money. Mm. And you and I said, why wouldn't you want to beat the market? And, and again, it's just the investor psychology. So I think it's worth, whenever you're getting advice from anyone, including us, or not even advice, but whenever you're listening to someone giving you educational feedback and ideas, um, just be mindful that you know we are doing it from our perspective. We think our perspective is right, and we do it with a very particular lens. And you need to know that. And if, you know, hopefully you're doing that about us by now because we've talked long enough about it. But anyone else you're talking to, 
Oh, I buy, I've bought uh, Ethereum because. I bought this miner because. I bought Woolworths because. I buy bonds because. Um, you know, if someone says, hey, you should buy bonds. Okay, that's their view. And I'm sure they have a high conviction on that. But you've got to get to the next point, which is on what basis, why, what are you trying to achieve? And then does that align? You know, there's a reason we talk about, mm. you know, may not align with, align with your risks and goals and objectives because it literally is very, very different advice for very, very different people. Yeah. But when you listen to someone give general thoughts, know that it's probably their thoughts, not not thoughts necessarily for you in your circumstance. Yeah, well said. Really well said. You, you, and, and again, <laughs> one thing I'll add to that, and I know it's a favourite, it's a mantra of mine, but you can borrow an idea, <laughs> but you can't borrow the conviction. I, I, did I quote you on that at FinFest? I've quoted you on that before somewhere. Oh, uh, it's and I probably stole it from somewhere. So but good. It's, it's so it's so true because someone, yeah. so I've 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 fallen victim to it myself. Where you hear someone speaking with clarity and passion, <laughs> and it seems to make all sense. You go, I'm oh yes, mm. yes, I'm in, I'm in, and you go and buy some, <laughs> and then it drops twenty percent. Which which yeah. things do? As I just said, Woolies has just done that. You know, so it's not yeah. it's not that that's unusual, but but. When a stock I know intimately well drops, I can actually say uh, with with the knowledge of that mm. business and the context, I can put any new information in very quickly, whether that's actually, eh, that's just what the market doing its thing or no, this fundamentally broken. If I've just if just followed someone in, it's like, actually, mm. I don't know. what Now what do I do? And and, and that's that's radically different. So I think it's, I, I listen to heaps of investing podcasts um, mm. and I, I, I get a lot of ideas. Well, just straw man is all about sharing ideas. So a lot of our members mm. are out there putting ideas all the time, um, but it's on me. It's all care, no responsibility from anyone and everyone. So you, you yep. use it as an idea generator. Someone's passed you the ball, but you've got to, you've got to now run with that yourself. Um, mm. Either that, or or just completely outsource it and be prepared to, to to weather what those consequences are. But I can guarantee you, no one cares more about your money than you do. Yep, love it. Even better way to finish. Uh, will you come back next week? Yeah, you bet. Try we are searching for for the first time in a long time. Our mailbag is lighter than it's been in a little bit. So if you have a question for us, now is a perfect time. Literally a perfect time to send us your questions, your comments, your feedback, your suggestions. What do you want us to talk about? Hit us up on all the usual social. I'll give you them one last time. If you want to use the email, like Andrew's favorite 60-year-old people who don't use like business cards, go to info, I-N-F-O, at fool.com.au. Send us an email. If you're on the socials, and why wouldn't you be, go to Elon Musk's new favorite toy, Twitter. Uh, Andrew is at sage underscore Simeon, or strawman is at strawman invest. You can get me on Twitter and Insta at TMF Scott P or the Motley Fool account. Follow that as well at the Motley Fool AU. And on Facebook, send me a direct message uh, Facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money or Facebook.com forward slash The Motley Fool Australia. A lot of fun. Looking forward to next week. I kind of hope it's a. Um, less exciting week next weekend I'd, I'd like to have you know no federal budget no no cpi no more cyber attacks can we can we try and Bo- boring is often great in our business so yeah let's let's oh, hope for some boredom fingers crossed until then full on cheers the motley fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.